here. It is great to see you here. Uh, at Marsfield Community Church, what we usually do is go through books of the Bible from beginning to the end. Uh, so uh, early this year, we went through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, in term three, we're going through the book of Exodus. But what we do also is we look at different ideas or different topics And because there's so much uh, out there in our world about identity, who we are, who we're meant to be, and how we're meant to form our identity, we decided that we're going to look at what the Bible says about who we are. And we come to a, uh, a topic today that is really important that we understand, but it's actually quite, I would say, controversial and misunderstood. Uh, so as, as uh, we look at God's Word this morning, I'm going to pray. And, uh, and we can go from there. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. I, I, I pray that uh, as we explore this topic, that we would not be confused, but your word and you would be made clear. That we would not walk away with more confusion, but more delight and wonder and joy in you. May me feel more secure in you and more humble and a greater sense of we're part of this community that you have called us to be part of. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I think the Bible teaches almost in every book of the Bible is that if you know God, it is because God chose you to know him. It is not primarily that one day you woke up and you decided to follow God, even though it feels that way. What the Bible says clearly is that if you know God, if you love the Lord Jesus, if you love God, God chose you to know Him, to love Him, to obey Him. Now, when I first came to this church, I remember saying something like that, and uh, I had a bunch of people come, come to me with, oh, but what about this, and what about this, and all these questions. It was very controversial, uh, because one of the great things about MCC is that we all come from different backgrounds, theologically. Some of us uh, were Anglicans, and some of us were in Reformed churches. Some of us were in Baptist churches or Pentecostal churches, all this kind of thing. And so, we got different ideas. And so, different churches and different theological kind of schools have different opinions on this. And yet, I hope to, to show you that not only is the idea that we're chosen by God, or what's called the doctrine of election or predestination, is not only a biblical thing, but a beautiful thing. It's not only a biblical thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Now, one of the things that people say to me uh, is, well, this is a Pauline thing. Paul taught it, but Jesus didn't. On your outline, you can see that there's actually two passages there from John 15. But Jesus clearly teaches it. John 15, verse 6, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He is saying, well, wait up, you didn't choose me, you disciples didn't choose me, but I chose you. John 15, verse 19, If you belong to the world... 
It will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Here is Jesus, and he would say, if you love God, if you know him, it is because God chose you. And so every, every part of the Bible teaches this, this doctrine. And can I just say, if we get this idea in our hearts, it will be revolutionary. And why I say in our hearts is because even if, we've, even if we know this in our heads, even if we believe it in our heads, I actually think so many of us actually don't have it animating our hearts, this idea that we've been chosen. It will be revolutionary for us in our Christian experience. And I think there's three ways that it will revolutionize us. Knowing that we're chosen by God would give us humility, would help us understand that we're a community, and will give us security. Humility, community, and security. Now, now our main text that we're looking at is Deuteronomy 7, so please turn, that, turn back to that if you have uh, gone over to Ephesians 1. Please go back to Deuteronomy 7, because that's where we're staying. And we're going to jump around at a few places, but I've given you an outline with those other verses. So keep Deuteronomy 7 open, but refer to your outline if you've got one. I, I printed off 50, so hopefully you can see one. Uh, if you can't, I apologize. Okay, so, so, this is, so let me ca- catch you up to speed. Deuteronomy is 40 years after the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, you probably, if, even if you haven't been at church, you might have seen a Disney movie where um, God re- rescues his people, Israel, out of slavery under Pharaoh. A- and they walk around in the desert for 40 years and now in Deuteronomy, they're about to enter the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, Moses gives his five last sermons to them to remind them of who they are and whose they are, but also who they're meant to be. And here's what he says. Have a look at verse 6. Sorry, verse 7 with me. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people. Did you see God has chosen them? But did you see it's not because of anything that they are? See, see, it's not because they are a numerous people. It's not like they're a significant nation. It's not like God has gone, oh, who's the biggest and best nation? It's Israel, I'll choose them. No, have a look. Verse 8, but it was because the Lord, sorry, sorry for, the, for you were the fewest of all people at the end of verse 7. It wasn't because you were big and great and amazing and therefore you were significant. No, it was because you were few and pathetic and you were insignificant. And did you see in verse 8, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand. It's... God didn't look at the nation of Israel and say, hey, you know, I'm going to choose them because they're amazing. No, they weren't amazing. God chose them because he made a promise 400 years before the Exodus to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That's why he chose them. 
So uh, the other thing that we've got to get is, is this. There's two actually different, different kinds of love. And actually, they're quite helpfully translated in, in, in Deuteronomy 7 in the NIV. Because in verse 7, it says, The Lord did not set his affection on you. The, the word for love there in the original is kind of the love, the romantic love that a man would have for a woman. It's the idea that, you, you know, the, the Lord didn't... You know, if you see uh, your husband or your wife and you just look at them and you go, oh, your heart skips a beat because they're so amazing and beautiful and, and everything... It's not that kind of love. Uh, he, he's saying, he's saying it, 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 it's, it's not that kind of love. That, that, that's not the love I have for you. There's a different kind of love in verse 8. And the original word in the original Hebrew is hesed. It's this idea that I loved you because I, I chose to love you because I made promises. It's not an attractive kind of love. It's a promise-keeping type love. And I think the, uh, the best way of putting this love is from a children's Bible, actually, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now, if you've got kids, please run and get this Bible. It's amazing. The Jesus Storybook Bible, they describe this love in this way. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the kind of love that it is. That's the kind of love that God has given us. See, but, but the thing is, the point is, if God didn't choose us based on who we are, if God chose it based on his promise, what does that mean for us? One of the problems of, of, of being uh, the chosen one is it can lead to arrogance and pride. There's a book out a number of years ago, actually, that was written about a particular group within a particular denomination. And this author didn't like this particular group in this particular denomination and called the book The Chosen Ones. Because what she was trying to say is this group thinks they're chosen by God and they're furiously arrogant. But if you realize you have been chosen by God, not because you're amazing, but on other criteria that has nothing to do with you, that actually leads to humility. Have a look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 28. Or 26 to 29 on your outline. It says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised thing and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. Here is Paul. And did you see why God chose the people who he chose? It wasn't because they were amazing. It wasn't because they were beautiful or intelligent. Or, no, it's actually the opposite. God chose the foolish things of the world. God chose the weak things of the world. If you are a Christian today, do you realize that's why God chose you? God didn't choose you because he thought, well, I really need this person on my team. It's going to make my team so much better. He's actually, no, I'm going to choose the weak and the foolish people of this world 
so that if they look good in any sense, they can't claim it for themselves. And so can you see how this actually breeds humility? This breeds absolute humility because it wasn't that God shows you because you're amazing. It's God shows you out of his great love. But, but think, about, think about the opposite. Some of us here go, well, well, I actually don't agree with God choosing us first. I think I chose God, or we choose God. This week I heard a sermon from a guy, and he talked about uh, being, being in a lecture hall, and there was a, a, a lecturer talking about this kind of doctrine. And this girl put her hand up, and she goes, actually... I don't believe that God chooses people. I believe that we choose God. And and she said, look, I chose God, you know, two years ago. My sister didn't. We went to the same church. My sister didn't. I chose God. And, And the professor said, can I ask you some questions? And she goes, yeah. So he says, so why did you respond why did you come to know Jesus? She goes, oh, because I responded. I responded to the call that Jesus put out, and so I, I responded to him. And he goes, no, but why did you respond? She goes, because I wanted to. I wanted to come to know Jesus, so I did. She goes, but, but why did you want to? She goes, because I realized that there was a problem with my life. I was a sinner, and that I realized I needed Jesus. And he kept going, and she always said, because I, because I, because I, because I, because I, because I. And he said, can you see the problem? You did it. You were smart enough to realize. You were smart enough to go, I've got a problem. It was all on you. And so when you think about your salvation, you could have so much pride in you because it was you that did it. But actually, if you realize that you are chosen before the creation of the world, you've got no pride in your salvation. Why? Because you didn't do anything. You were walking away from Jesus, and Jesus actually turned you around to follow him. So you can't be proud. See, it's a bit like this. Uh, When I was a a kid um, at high school, what we used to do every lunchtime is we used to scoff our food down as fast as we can, and uh, then we will play basketball for the rest of uh, lunchtime, and we used to go back to school, uh, back to class, all sweaty and uh, stinky, and that's why we were all single. And uh, anyway, but, but, but what you used to do is you used to pick two captains, and you used to pick two teams, and all the, all the time you used to pick the best players, obviously, at the start, and you would go down to the worst players. There was one particular guy who was a really, really lovely guy. But he couldn't play. He was really, really uncoordinated. Like, he, he, I think he had trouble breathing or walking at the same time he was so uncoordinated, right? And, and you would never pick this guy, right? Because you knew that he would be a liability to your team. Because he could hardly catch the ball. And when he did, he would just throw it up at the rim no matter where he was, right? And he would always miss. And I can remember one time, uh, you know, I was on a team, I wasn't the captain, but uh, the captain, in the end, it was kind of left with this guy. He goes, okay, come on, you're on my team. And 
as he was walking over, he turned, turned to the rest of us and he says, don't pass him the ball for the whole lunchtime. And it's mean, but we didn't pass him the ball. And in fact, we won that lunchtime. We beat the other team, right? And as we were walking off, this guy who didn't even touch the ball, who was a liability to our team, he was actually going to one of his friends. He goes, I won, you lost, I won, you lost. And the guy who was the captain actually said to me, I don't know why he's boasting. Because we only chose him because he was just there. He's a liability to our team. I don't know why he's boasting because he contributed nothing. And I don't know why Christians boast in the fact that they are saved. Because we contributed nothing. We didn't choose it. It wasn't our great idea. It was totally God's. And so the very fact, if you are a Christian today, you, are, you, are, you have been chosen and 1 Corinthians says very clearly, it was because you were weak and foolish that God chose you. So this undercuts all pride. All pride. No matter your status in life, no matter how many degrees you have, no matter how smart or athletic you are, the one that you honor is not yourself, but Jesus. So knowing that you've been chosen by God brings you humility, not pride, but also... It helps us realize that we've been chosen for community. Have a look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Chapter 6. He's talking to the nation of Israel and he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. He is saying, he is saying to everybody, God has chosen you to be part of his community. You are a chosen people to be part of the community of God. And in fact, 1 Peter says the same thing, and it's on your outline. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. When God chose you, he didn't choose you to be an individual. He chose you to be part of a community. The, the, the community that is the people of God. And did you see what kind of community it is? Have a look at verse 6 again. For you are a people holy to the Lord. It is a holy community. Now, here's the thing. When we think of holiness or holy, I don't know about you, but I always think of Ned Flanders. I always think of this geeky Christian who is kind of weird and just out there like that. But actually, holiness is to be so different, so special, so set apart that you're different from the community around you. Holiness means radically set apart or radically different so that the people of God are meant to be very, very radically different from the culture around them. We are meant to be so different that the world sees that we have been transformed by grace alone. That the world sees in us as a gathered community a sense of that God is among us. So we have been chosen to be very different. See, when I look around at Sydney, and when I think of Sydney, I think that Sydney is all about self. Self-promotion, self-justification, self-comforting of the self. We're all about ourselves. And yet if we're a holy community, 
If we're being chosen to be a holy community, to be different, we've got to be radically different than that. We've got to be consumed with radical love and radical service and radical sacrifice. Think about three three areas that that our city is is obsessed with. Sex, money, and power. Our, Our community, our city says, sex is out there for personal fulfillment. You have sex for for personal fulfillment. If you realize you've been chosen by God to be part of a community, you will realize that sex is actually about creating a community within the family. It's about reproducing. It is about showing love for someone else, to, to someone else, someone you're married to, not about your own desires and your own fulfillment. Well, think about money. In Sydney, money is for me and my life. Money is for me either to set up the life I want and to give me security or to buy the things that I want. But if you've been chosen by God to be part of a holy community, your money is no longer your own because you realize whatever money you have, God, by His grace, has given it to you. Now, you may say, hey, I've worked really hard for my money, and you have. I'm not denying that. But don't you realize that there was a bunch of things throughout your life that you had no control over to get you to where you were? You, you were born in Australia. Most of us have been anyway. And you were given a family that taught you values of hard work. You, uh, you were, therefore, you were in a family that was well off enough to send you to the schools that you needed to. And so on and so forth. You had great health to actually, so you could study or so you could do, do the stuff that you had. You got a particular set of gifts that God gave you so you could study what you, you did. Can you see how much grace has been shown in your life and how much God has given you so that you could earn the money you do? You know, See, when, when someone says, my money's my own, that shows they don't understand two things. They don't understand, first and foremost, the grace of God in their lives, that their lives have been painted top to tail with the grace of God. And secondly, when we say, my money's my own, we don't realize that actually we've adopted a Western secular view of money. I remember talking to a a, a friend here who was was a member of our church, and and he said the the thing, he's African, the thing that becomes Westernized the quickest when you talk about African people, is their view of money. He, he said that, that in a traditional culture or, or, or you know, a, few, a few decades ago or maybe 100 years ago, if you had money, it was for your family and your, your community in the African, you know, in the African uh, uh, tr- tribal system, I guess. And he said, now... You've got people who are saying, no, money's mine. Money's my own. To do. Who cares about the community? And he said, that's actually because we become really white and Western with our view of property and money. And what the Bible says is this. If we believe that, we've actually got Western values, not biblical ones. Or think about power. Our city says power is there for me to get ahead. 
power is there so, so that I can be powerful, so I can be successful. The Bible says you use your power to serve others. You use your power to love and uplift others. Yesterday, I was walking um, to, to the gym. I parked my car at Macquarie Uni Car Park, and I was walking past, and they were playing um, water polo. I always love water polo because uh, what, what I see every time is the guy who's got the ball, he's got uh, uh, his opponent in front of him, and what does he do? He pushes him down to throw the ball in. Now, I don't know if that's a foul or what, but, but, but that's what they do. Uh, and I think that's our, our Western secular view of power. If, I, if I'm powerful, if I've got the ball, what do I do? I push other people up so I can raise up and I can score. In the Bible, it's the opposite. I am throwing the ball to others so they can be lifted up, so they can score, they can look amazing, not me. So if we realise that we're a holy community, we've been chosen to be part of a holy community, it will radically change the way we view church. But notice how, especially in verse 6, you're part of a holy community. That means you cannot be holy by yourself. We've got a very Western individualistic view of spirituality. That means if I read my Bible and pray, if I come to church, if I do all this kind of thing, that means I will progress in the Christian life. That's why I will become more like Jesus. And actually, the Bible never says that. The Bible says that one of the biggest tools that God is going to use for your progress in the Christian faith is community. That you are called not to be an individual holy person. You are called to be part of a holy community. And therefore, you will never achieve holiness if you're not part of a thick and rich and deep community. So maybe you're here... And maybe you call Marshall Community Church your home. I want to ask you, have you really jumped in both feet into this community? Or is this something you kind of attend, attend occasionally or every Sunday? You can come every Sunday, but you may not be part of this community. If you come to church once in a while when you feel like it's convenient... Or, or, or you're like, well, I'll, I'll serve sometimes or I'll give when I feel like it. I don't think you're part of a community. You're not part of this community. It's a church you go to, but have you jumped in? See, the thing is, you know, we're all parts of groups of bodies that are not communities. Every week I've been going to uni and it's a Zoom class. There's a bunch of people there, but we're not part of this community. We get taught, we talk, we have fun, that kind of thing. But then we go our separate ways. We're not part of a community. Well, think of your work. Uh, you know, most of us go to a job where, you know, we go, we do, we do the work, we're nice to everyone, but we're not part of a community there. See, part of a community means that I'm going to give up my individual wants and freedoms for this community. I'm going to give up my individual wants and freedoms for this community. So that means our community starts with sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my energy, my money, my wants for this community. So if I don't feel like going to church, guess what? I'm going to go. Because what I'm going to sacrifice is my wants at this time for the community. 
I'm going to, if I, uh, if I've got a lot on at the moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to organise my time so to be part of the community and serve others. If I see a need in the community, I'm going to put my hand up, even if I don't like to do it. One of the things I love about John, who was interviewed earlier, is I'm sure I haven't asked this, I haven't asked John this, so he may totally contradict this. But I'm sure if I asked John, where would you like to serve more than anything, he wouldn't say preschool. And yet he does it because he is part of this community and he says, this is a great need. See, so many of us want community, but we don't want to give up our individual freedoms to be part of the community, which means we are far more like the world and its values than being part of a holy community. When you realise you've been chosen for community and this community, everything changes. Your priorities change. See, some of us say, I want to be part of a community, but I won't give up my time. I don't want to go. I want to be part of a community, but I don't want to be generous with my time or my money. If that is you, you're not living out the reason why you've been chosen. You've been chosen to be part of a holy community. Our community should be a community of radical love, of radical service, of radical sacrifice, because Jesus on the cross showed you and me radical love and radical service and radical sacrifice. Last point. The doctrine of being chosen gives us great security. Now, now, now once again, I, I want to go back to, to verse 7 and think of those two kinds of loves. Once again, the, 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 the love in verse 7 is the kind of love, the, the kind of romantic attraction kind of love. And God is saying, I didn't love you out of that kind of love. I didn't choose you out of that love. Verse 8 is the Hesed love, the never stopping, never giving up, or unbreaking, always and forever love. See, and that love, have a look at verse 7 again. Oh, sorry, verse 8. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand. God chose them because of the promise he made, as I said before. And what if we get that, that provides so much security to Israel and so much security to us. See, God kept loving Israel even though they rebelled against him over and over and over and over again because he made a promise. And God is going to keep loving you no matter what goes on in your life because he made a promise to you. And that promise was not only brought about by Abraham all those thousands of years ago, but it was ratified when Jesus died for you. Think about it like this. Uh, imagine a married person says, uh, says to their spouse, hey honey, why do you love me? And they said, oh, it's because you're beautiful. But wait up, but does that mean if uh, their looks change, they're not going to love them anymore? Like, for example, maybe your, your husband works out or used to work out and that kind of thing, and when you got married, he had a six-pack, right? But now he's got a keg. Does that mean you're going to go, well, 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 you're no longer attractive. I don't love you anymore. Of course not. 
Or, or what about when you got married, you loved your husband or your wife because of their scintillating um, intellect? They're really smart and you just had conversations with them and it was amazing and that kind of thing, right? But what happens if they get unwell or they get depressed? What if happens if they've got a bunch of kids running around and they've got baby brain? Does that mean you're going to stop loving them? Or, or, or what if? What if when you married them they were heaps of fun? I mean, you just had so much fun with them, but now, now in your life, there's so much on, and you know, it just seems very businesslike, and they're, they're no longer fun. Or maybe, maybe they're going through a mental illness, and they're very depressed, and, and they're no longer fun. Does that mean you're going to stop loving them? No. no what, part of the problem of saying. You know, I love you because you're good looking or because you're smart or because you think. That's why you're attracted to them. But if you're married to them, you love them today and you keep loving them. Why? Because you made a promise. You made a promise a year ago, 10 years ago, some of us 50 years ago, I'm not sure, right? But you made a promise to love them. That's why you get up every day and you keep loving them because you made that promise. And what does that give you in your marriage? That gives you security. Why? Because you know that your spouse is going to love you even if things change dramatically. Because their love is not based on you and how you perform. Their love for you is based on the promise they made. And that's the same thing with, with God. God loves Israel. God loves you because of promises he made to Abraham that was ratified in Jesus dying for you on the cross. His promise and his love for you is not based on your performance. It's not based on how holy you are or how much you know about the Bible. So, so maybe you're here and you're going, well, well Hans, I, why would God love me? I, I, I'm not happy. I'm not, not joyful. And God says, I love you because I promise to love you. Now, I'm pro- I promise to keep you to the end. Some of you guys have got a faith that is racked with doubts. And you're saying, oh, I'm not sure God loves me because I've got all these doubts. Well, 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 I know that God loves you because he promised to love you despite your doubts. Some of you guys are going, well, well hands, I, I, I just can't serve at church at the moment. And, and I'm just, I just can't serve and I just feel bad. I don't feel like God would love me because I can't contribute to anything to this community. And God says, that you're wrong. I love you because I promised that I would love you. Some of you guys are going, well, well hands, I, I'm, I did something really terrible that I know was against what God would want me to do. Or I'm doing it at the moment. I'm in this pattern and I just don't feel like God would love me. No, 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 no. God loves you because he promised to love you. And that means you can have all the, all the doubts in the world, all the moral failings in the world, all, all the mess in the world. And guess what? God, is still lo- God still looks at you and says, I love you. I don't regret choosing you. I don't regret saving you. So, see, and when you realize God's love for you is not based on what you do or don't do, 
you realize that you have security. Because God is not going to wake up one day and go, oh, I can't believe you did it again. I'm, I'm out. I'm just out. Oh, you've got doubts? Well, forget about this. No, God says, you've got doubts. I love you. I'm going to care for you through these doubts. Yes, go and work out where, what the truth is with these doubts. But I'm going to love you through it. Oh, you're in this pattern of sin? Oh, God says, I love you. I died for you. Okay, you're part of a holy community which is going to help you deal with this sin. But I'm going to love you through it. Can you see how much security this brings? See, when you realize you've been chosen by God because He loves you and He loves you because He made a promise to love you, that brings you security because you're always in. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love that was given to Israel but was shown to you in Jesus. So walk away from here today. If you trust in Jesus today, know that you've been chosen by Him. And be humble. Be more committed to this community. But go away with this unending sense that you are secure in God's love because of what He has done. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this, this, this doctrine of being chosen. Lord, I pray because of it, not only will we will believe it because you teach it, but it would animate our lives. That, Lord, because of it, we will become more humble. We'd be more committed to being part of this community. And, Father God, that you would help us also to feel far more secure in your love because of all that you have done for us. Because it was you that before we even thought about you, you chose us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.